Hail and well met. Welcome back to another episode of Self Evident. My name is Eliana and I'm here with Bryn and Jenna. Today we are joined by a very special guest that you might have heard of before. He is known as the pro-life Spider-Man, known for climbing buildings and saving lives. So Mason, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Mason Deschamps, otherwise uh, known as the pro-life Spider-Man. And I joined the pro-life movement back in May. I had heard the news of Cesar Santangelo and not only the way that he was killing these babies, but in the way that their murder was being covered up. And I felt this calling to do something. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a poor college rock climber. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no money, no influence. What can I do? And really the, all that leaves me with is the talents that, that God has given me. So I devised this plan to sort of climb skyscrapers and use the, the media hype that I raised to raise money for mothers in need through uh, a, a pro-life charity called Let Them Live. Yeah, that's awesome. I think you, you mentioned it in uh, a little bit in what you just said, but what made you decide like ultimately, like over everything else, why did you decide uh, that climbing was the way to go and how does it, how does it help otherwise, you know, obviously draw some attention? I feel like in the culture and the media, there are, are, are so much, there's so much emphasis put onto uh, this idea of abortion rights. And very rarely do you see pro-life activists who are, you know, well outspoken and, and, and inserted into the culture. And I really do see abortion as this sort of cultural problem. So in my mind, it was not only how can I raise money and, uh, you know, get the attention for this protest, but it was also how I can, how can I change the culture? And this was just sort of my way of inserting myself into the culture because there's not really anybody else doing this in America right now. And so I I sort of stole the opening for the pro-life movement. Yeah, that's really neat. So one of my uh, favorite musicians growing up, Mike Donahue, he would say that your calling is where your deepest passion meets the world's greatest need. And obviously the world's greatest need is to know the truth about Jesus. And with that, us to kind of help the culture know what the truth is. And uh, I guess, I mean, maybe even guide them a little bit into that direction. Right. And so I think it's really cool that uh, you took something that is a great passion of yours and um, you're using it to help what is one of the world's greatest needs. Amen. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I wanted to ask you um, real quickly, uh, how long have you been in the fight for life? You know, I mean, I have been pro-life my entire life. However, I was never involved until May. And mm-hmm. I just felt this sort of calling. I saw what what uh, Cesar Santangelo was doing in, in Washington, D.C. And I felt like, you know, if there was any time to do something and to get involved, it was now. And, 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 and so that's, I guess, what inspired me to get involved, finally. Who is uh, Cesar Santangelo? Cesar Santangelo is an abortionist in Washington, D.C. And some of my friends, they um, were standing outside and, and they had asked the medical waste truck, like, hey, can we take one of these boxes and give these babies a proper burial? And the guy said, sure. And well, it turned out this box had five very, very late term babies in 
inside of it. And, you know, you see the Google Drive of all of these photos, the ones that weren't shared with the public. And, mm. you know, it, it kept me up for a whole week. I, I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, you know, I couldn't get past that. It, they were, they yeah. were so brutal. Uh, I mean, arms ripped apart, like bodies sawed in half and, and two full grown infants, basically. And, um, you know, after that happened, my friends, they had tried to find a private um, physician to do an autopsy, uh, but that didn't work out in time because they didn't they hadn't planned for that to happen. Yeah. And so they ended up calling the FBI and the FBI arrested my friends instead of the doctor. So this is the whole justice for the five incident that uh, he talked about online. I felt like I needed to do something. Praise God that you did. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been a it's been a wild journey so far. We've been able to raise uh, over thirty five thousand dollars for mothers in need, which have been which has been awesome. And uh, you know, it's it's funny because there there's there's no quitting at this point. Um, you know, follow following the overturning of Roe v. Wade, let them live has seen such an influx of mothers in need of help. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this winter and this fall of climbing some uh, skyscrapers to try to help these moms because we haven't turned down a mom yet, which has been an amazing thing. Um, Praise God. That's that's really that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it's been a, a huge influx. So this is definitely a, uh, a task and a challenge that, you know, we have to reach out and, and, and try to get support from from other pro-lifers, too. Can you give a brief description about what Let Them Live is? Yeah, so Let Them Live is a charity that helps mothers who are cornered by abortion. And so we, we typically focus on crowdfunding, and you okay. can go on to letthemlive.org, and you can donate to a specific mom who has a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are real stories. We, we change the names for just sake of privacy of the mothers, but we find mothers who are on their way to Planned Parenthood. You know, these are mothers who are recommended and referred to us by uh, sidewalk counselors. So these are moms who are about to abort their babies, who are giving this final option of, hey, there is an alternative. And they want to be able to, I guess, choose life for their for their children. And so we help pay for their rent. We help pay for their medical bills. If they need a car to get to work, we buy them a car so they can get to work. And we really try to focus on long-term solutions uh, like job services and and counseling so that these women can not only have their child, but be able to take care of their child after. And it's Mm -hmm. an outstandingly large number of the average amount of uh, money that we give these women in resources. It's on average uh, 17000 $200 Two hundred dollars uh, per woman. Wow. Now, obviously, that's case by case. So, some women are only going to get a thousand, and others are going to get much, much more. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're pretty pleased uh, that we're able to give so much help to these moms because we, where our rule is to never turn away a mom. Yeah, I mean, we just have this influx of mothers, which is insane because mm-hmm. our revenue has gone up, but our expenses have just gone up so much more because we're taking on so many more moms. That uh, I was planning to do this banner. And I almost use mm-hmm. this as an example for conflict is hot. But then I was like, well, that hasn't happened yet. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the billboards in 
that Gavin Newsom put up in South Carolina. Yeah. Yep. That yep. used the Bible scripture. Yeah. Well, so this whole time before that even happened, I was basically had the same banner, but the reverse, like uh, <laughs> cornered by abortion, we can help. Letthemlive.org. Yes. And then he put up his and I was like, what a jerk. And so I added the Bible verse on the mine and we were going to hang it off the Oakland bridge. It's like a hundred foot by 40 foot banner. Wow. And so it's just this giant banner. But then we had to kibosh that just because of funding. Cause it's like five grand to make it. Yeah. Um, and so now I think I'm going to climb the Ritz Carlton in LA. It's like a 600 footer. But it was mm-hmm. kind of easy. It's like a ladder almost. And I was yeah. avoiding it because I was like, this is too easy. But uh, you had we got to gotta raise the money for the moms. And so I was like, oh, yeah, gotta do what you got to do, I mm-hmm. guess. So is there any that way that we can help promote Let Them Live? I mean, obviously, self-evident, it's not monetized or anything. We have no money. <laughs> but how can, how can we help? I mean, just posting online and sharing the stuff, but also like, the best way is if you're close with your church pastor, because what we're trying to do is expand our adopt a mom program to where mm-hmm. we can find churches who want to adopt a mom and raise money for her to help. So that's really the best way is if you could introduce us to your pastor, because it's, it's cool what we do. It's different from a pregnancy center because we can just help them in ways that a pregnancy center can't. They don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. Um that we're able to give also it's cool because we try to build a relationship between the mom and the church. So you hear the woman's story and you can send her letters and thank you notes. And there's like a prayer request. So the mom will tell you what, like she wants you to to pray for her for that week. That's and a so beautiful it, presentation of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's designed to create this sort of relationship that's different than just like, Hey, we're raising money for mothers, you know? Yeah. It's like we're raising money for Anna who is in this situation. She got pregnant and her boyfriend left her. It's a matter of growing it because the hardest thing to do for a church is ask for money and stage time. Yeah. (laughs) But if you go to the church, it's a lot easier. Okay. (laughs) I think that is uh, the role of the churches is to stand up for their community and, and for God's righteousness. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what you're climbing for. That's what I'm climbing for. Yep. To raise money for, for these moms in need. And it's like I said, like after Roe v. Wade, the demand has gone up. And yeah. so we have to keep fighting and, and pour out more of our love, I guess, to these mothers so that we can stop this, this Holocaust that's happening. Absolutely. You know, it kind of, it really puts to rest the whole um, mantra that, there's no help for the mothers after or beyond saving their child, right? Like it, it really, it, it really puts that to rest, which I think is a really, really cool thing. And um, combating lies with truth is it's it's really neat. So yeah, we'll add a link to that um, down in the description of this podcast, so people can go check it out. How long have you been climbing, and how in the world is this legal? You know, I am just as surprised as you to hear it's legal. It's funny because in Detroit, there is a law that says you cannot leash your pet alligator to a fire hydrant. But there is no <laughs> law that says you cannot climb the Renaissance Center. Wow. And so I don't want to call it a loophole because it's just it's just a law that they've never thought about making. 
And so I'm able to get away with it. Uh, I do get arrested nearly every single time, <laughs> but it's more under, I guess, the idea of they're trying to set an example uh, of me on national TV, because w- when I get to the top of these buildings, I mean, there's helicopters flying everywhere. There's 30 news crews sitting there waiting for me. It feels like Grand Theft Auto in real life. And if they just let me go, that doesn't look good. And so it's probably technically an illegal arrest on their part, but I, I get why they're doing it because they don't want to encourage other people to repeat what I've done uh, just for safety purposes. And I mean, like, like I said, like, uh, you know, I don't want to encourage anybody to, to climb buildings either. I, I'm an experienced climber. I've been climbing for over five years now. And, but it's, it, and that doesn't seem like a long time, but uh, I lived all my summers in Yosemite and then I leave from Yosemite to Wyoming and then back to Las Vegas. Uh, and so it's something I'm constantly doing and, and uh, I've managed to get pretty good at it. So I wouldn't recommend anybody go and try to repeat it. <laughs> Definitely. Do you think that they're ever going to make a law to make this illegal? I think they're going to have to, honestly. Uh, I see what's going on in France right now. And there's maybe like a group of like 15 guys who are climbing skyscrapers over in yeah. Europe. And, you know, granted, like there hasn't ever been an accident yet. I mean, Alain Robert, he just turned 60. And he's climbed over 166 skyscrapers in his lifetime. So it's something that's like a very calculated thing. Like you don't just go out and climb a skyscraper one day on an impulse. Right. Um, But yeah, I think just given the the growth and popularity that climbing as a sport is taking and the way social media is, I I definitely think they're probably going to have to make a law because I figure there's going to be some copycats. I think definitely, so. Definitely. So through all this and through seeing what's going on in France and through just like getting arrested every single time, what is your motivation to keep going on and to keep climbing the buildings, even though you're going to get arrested for it? Well, I think as Christians, we can't really be scared of, of getting arrested, especially uh, in situations like mine where I'm not breaking the law. But in Second Timothy, uh, you know, Paul wrote that, we as soldiers of Christ must endure hardships and said no um, person engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life. And so you you see this all throughout the Bible when, when the apostles are getting arrested and they just use it to, to grow their ministry. And that's sort of um, how they view that uh, as an opportunity. And so that's how I've always kind of viewed it is like, you know, morally, I'm not really doing anything wrong. And so as long as I, I stand by that and I can keep saying that and, and, and um, then I don't really have a problem with the whole going to jail. It's, it's, it's just yeah. an opportunity to further evangelize in my mind. Uh, yeah. And in Oklahoma, it was sort of this wonderful divine planning. Um, I was in there and I'm evangelizing and, and, and there's a, uh, there's always jail ministries that are in there but the prisoners don't listen to them like they listen to me because when you're arrested uh and you're behind bars as well you kind of have for a what i'm now. doing yeah for what i'm doing you get you get some street cred yeah which is kind of funny uh but 
I was evangelizing and I was telling people why I was in there. And it just so happened that somebody there was planning on having an abortion. And I had no idea. Apparently it was, it was going to happen. And afterwards they contacted, let them live. And because I went to jail, we were able to, I guess, meet him and, and tell him our story and save a, a baby from jail and, and help them out as a family, wow. which is very, um, I, I think, a you know, divine, divinely planned moment. Absolutely. Wow. How long uh, are you typically in jail after these things? Do you have like an average number of days? Yeah, that's the thing. I'm, I'm only in there for uh, a few hours usually. Okay, and then I'm cool. let go. And so the longest I've been in there was like six hours, um, six or seven hours. Oklahoma was in there for a long time. I think it was more of like they were trying to figure out what to do with all the media that was waiting outside. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, when, when I got out of the jail, there was maybe like 30 cameras waiting there, uh, like right outside the door. There was there was no no hiding. It was wow. kind of a crazy experience. But Detroit, I was in for a long time and I started to get worried. I was like, am I going to be here all weekend? And I called a friend who knows some guys in, inside the city and, and uh, he, he got me out luckily uh, wow. without the, without bail and without having to meet the judge, which was cool. But, you know, I, I was, I was grateful for that opportunity. I bet. <laughs> Um, people you know <laughs> yeah connections are everything um, i think the courage that you display um in that is so so needed in this world and it's like you know the bible talks about how uh okay this is very much paraphrased from like just in general reading the bible we, like we were never meant to live a life where everything is perfect you know like jesus and Paul and you think of all the disciples and everything that they went through to further the message of Jesus Christ. And it's like, we are supposed to follow in that calling, if you know what I'm saying. And the way that you're able to evangelize and help other, other people in general is really, really neat. And uh, something that I think we could all learn that you're willing to put aside your worldly comforts for the sake of eternity. It's, it's really neat. Yeah, there's there's tons of inspiration in the Bible, and I, I think it's sad because I, I I do see the Christian culture sort of you know cowarding out. Uh, I mean, you look at what Operation Rescue did, and I get a bunch of I guess inspiration from them. I mean, somehow Randall Terry and his friends were able to convince thousands of mothers and grandmothers to get arrested, to go to jail, to be beaten, all for this righteous cause and you don't see things like that happening nowadays in, in the christian movement i mean the mm. people who are leading this sort of rescue movement agree or, or disagree with its effectiveness they're all atheists they're all these progressive people who aren't scared to go to jail uh and so i think as, as christians we need to sort of be brave and be bold um like the christians who've gone before us because unlike the atheists, we actually have a hope. Exactly. What are they doing it for? We have a purpose. Christ put us on earth to be a voice for the voiceless, which is the preborn, and to speak up, speak out, and be the salt and light of the earth. And if mm -hmm. we're not being productive in that area of life, in protecting the most vulnerable among us, we are fit for nothing more, like Jesus said, 
than to be thrown out and be trampled underfoot by man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're the salt of the earth. And I feel like if we're not tasting like salt, what, what does the Bible say? It's like something about it's just as good under your foot. Yeah, if, if saltiness has lost its taste, good to be trampled on, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's our goals as, or our job as Christians. Uh, the one thing I will comment on, on the atheists, uh, I think they're all secret, or at least the pro-life atheists are secret, secretly Christian and just mm. don't know it yet. Um, I don't know. We're, well, we're working on them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the, the very interesting thing is with atheists, if there's no God and if we're here for basically no purpose, we just are existing. Well, why are you defending life then? Why is life precious to you? You know, I yeah. think there's actually something to be said, though, for like the morals that have also been placed on our hearts, you know, like God has built us naturally knowing right from wrong and it can be twisted. It can be so, t- so twisted in this world, especially. Um, and we well, I guess we see that a lot uh, in today's age. But uh, yeah, I think there's also something to be said, though, for like the morals that we've naturally been, I guess, born with you know that god wrote his law on our hearts yeah Yeah. i mean the reason why the the pro-choice movement has sort of been able to pick up so much steam is because it's about dismantling this objective morality that is given to us by god it's it's saying like okay i wouldn't have an abortion but i'm okay if you have have one because that's your choice and it's sort of this idea of relative or subjective morality uh, mm-hmm. that comes with rejecting religion and rejecting God, because the truth is, like as, like as you said, without God, there, there is no morality and there is no reason to be moral at all. Every Life is a game without, without God. How has your church community impacted you throughout this decision to start climbing for life? Yeah, my church community has been very, uh, very supportive. They, um, they, they do a lot with the local pregnancy centers, and they are a very pro-life uh, group of people. And so it's been nice having their sort of moral support and being able to bounce questions off on them because I, I'm fairly new to, to Christianity. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a year since I, I sort of left the Catholic faith and be, I guess became born again. But with that comes a lot of questions, and it's nice to have good, Christians who are, have been, uh, I guess, deeply involved in the word who I can ask questions and, and uh, get an answer back from. Praise God. Praise God. Can you give us a little bit of your testimony of like how you came to become a Christian? Yeah, you know, I was raised Catholic and I was always pretty involved in the church. You know, I'd, I'd go to church almost every weekend and I'd ride my bike and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the Catholics don't focus enough on the word, in my opinion, not to mention a lot of their practices and their sacraments are just unbiblical. It's not that I disagree with doing them to honor God, but just the fact that in the Catholic religion, most of them are required to be saved. I think that's an unbiblical uh, idea. You know, the Bible is pretty clear on, on faith alone, Christ alone. Mm-hmm. What, what really changed it for me is I, I went to a uh, Bible study with a friend and they were reading Samuel. And I was like, who's Samuel? 
Like, <laughs> I had no idea because growing up Catholic, I've just never read the Bible. And so I ended up going to Calvary Chapel service. And right away, I was just like, well, this is it. This is what uh, church <laughs> is supposed to be. Because yeah. I, I feel like having faith is like being on a boat, right? Like you're not going to drown. But having the word is having paddles. And without those paddles, you're going to hit the sides of the river. You're going to run into some bushes. You're going to hit some trees. Um, and, and I think the word is just so important to know and understand. And for me, my sort of born again came out of, um, I guess, discovering the word and, and how impactful it is. Yeah, that's, that's really, incredible. really, really cool. So did you find it hard to shift over? Like, was there people like that discouraged you from doing it did you find a good community right away of uh, brothers and sisters who welcomed you in immediately or was it like was there a really was it a rough transition period or it was pretty easy I guess the hardest thing was like coming from a Catholic family like Catholicism is just as much your religion as it is your sort of culture yeah Um, and so that part I guess is is tricky is navigating that like okay this isn't who I am anymore Uh, but no, my church family here is fantastic where I didn't have much of a church family at at the Catholic church. Uh, so it's a pretty easy transition. The hardest thing I will say is talking to Catholics and telling them that you are a former Catholic. Yeah. Uh, I learned not to do that. I learned to just say, Oh, I'm Protestant. And then they don't bother me. But if I say, Oh, I'm a, a, I used to be a Catholic. Then it becomes this big thing, and they're trying to reconvert me. And oh. uh, yeah, I but I, I did pick the wrong time probably because the Catholic Church. I, I give them props; they are very supportive in the pro life movement. Yeah, and I don't know. I always do things because I want to do them. I'm never really influenced by others, and I think that's proof of it. Is because I joined the pro life movement the same time I converted from Catholicism which is sort of a bad time to do it there's never a bad time but that's that yeah it's kind of ironic that you actually went fully and into becoming uh an advocate for life when you converted to Christianity God has a sense of humor I love that yeah (laughs) Mason how can we as Generation Z you know the Zoomers how can we be as effective in the cause for life as you are without literally risking our necks? Yeah, I think you, for one thing, you can't be scared to take risks. You know, I was arrested maybe a month ago in San Francisco, and I was standing outside of uh, UCSF, uh, Mark Zuckerberg Hospital. You know, they were splicing fetal organs into mice. So we were there protesting, and they came out and said, sir, we need you to leave. You are breaking the law. And I said, what law am I breaking? I'm standing here on public property with a sign and he cited some code that said I had to be in their safe space zone, their freedom of speech zone, which is like a fence, maybe a 10 by 10 district, like, like little section. And I said, sir, like he's and he asked me, where's my permit? And I gave him a picture of the constitution. Like, this is my permit. <laughs> and they didn't like that. And so I'm on the phone with my lawyer I'm talking to them and they're saying like, Oh no, you have every right to be there. And of course the police officer, they take my phone away and they arrested me and, and and took me back, even though I was following the law. And I think there's situations like that where you can't be scared to back down. If you know you're in the right, stand up for your rights. And if they want to take you to jail, like I said, 
use that as an opportunity to grow your ministry. Um, another ways too is uh, one, of, one of the best advice I've ever heard is, is, as far as activism goes is um, whenever you're planning activism, if you want to get the media attention, the, the line to think of is conflict is hot. And uh, this is a Teresa quote. I don't know if you guys know Teresa of Pow. <laughs> but not necessarily, no. Conflict is hot. So whatever way you can sort of poke the bear and uh, get the left's attention, that's what's going to get you in, into the media and get your voice heard. Now, obviously, you have to be careful because they're going to try to frame you wrongfully. And, and so uh, that's something to consider. But take that line and, and, and I guess uh, use it. It's very helpful. In the pro-life movement, the most radical thing you could do is nothing. I um, really like that. Can you elaborate yeah. on that? Like uh, when, when you take the pro-life perspective for just a moment, what we're looking at is 65 million babies killed since Roe v. Wade. I mean, this is an, an insane number. One of the largest holocausts of all time. Largest genocides, rather. If you really want to be a radical, because I get called radical a lot for what I do. I'm climbing skyscrapers. But I think the most radical thing you can do is nothing. Is just turning a blind eye. I'm so grateful that you're doing that. And um, as you've been talking throughout this entire interview, all I could think of is First Timothy 4.12, which says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And I think you're fulfilling that instruction very well. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for your time. And uh, with that being said, let us firmly rely on the protection of divine providence. And as the pro-life Spider-Man says, in the pro-life movement, the most radical thing you can do is nothing. Thank you for listening. This is self-evident.